Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, presented by the tech doctor, Ronan Leonard. Hi, welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast. Today I'm talking with David Andreasen, who's the Director of Finance and Operations and Advisors. How are you doing, David? Very well, thank you, Ronan. How are you? Good, thanks. And tell me a bit about your background. Yeah, so um, my background very much grounded in finance. So you know, did business in in, in college and, and masters, and moved into Ernst and Young into the assurance department, and, and kind of cut my teeth in the finance team there, looking at um, myriad of different companies in in the audit role. Um, so you know, lucky in that, got some great experience with some really good uh, companies, both here in Ireland and also over in the US, and some tech companies, Facebook and, and Microsoft. Um, and then after that, and you know, I guess you're, you're you're doing your exams as well, looking for your chartered accountancy qualification. So um, good experience there. Tough, tough work. But once I qualified, moved into the merger and acquisitions team, and and I guess back then this would have been maybe 2012 or so. Um, so Ireland was just coming out of recession. There was actually transactions were, were actually happening. Uh, so moved into a kind of a, a, an early growing team there. Um, so spent a couple of years there. Really enjoyed my time. Again, we got a lot of our deal flow from the Entrepreneur of the Year program, super program um, that you know a lot of quality companies come out of. Um, and that's where I kind of I guess first started working with early stage companies and, and particularly in the tech space and guys looking to you know formulate business plans and, and get ideas off the ground, and look for funding. Um, you know, in the advisory business in Ireland, it, it's you know it's a small market, so you kind of have to be a jack of all trades. So the team I was working on, we we one month be doing a merger in the dairy sector talking to farmers about the price of milk and then you know talking to an early stage tech company so you know you very much had to uh, get up to speed on a, on a sector pretty quick but um yeah i, I ter- certainly got interested in in the tech space and and i guess off the back of that tried to you know meet people that were in that space and, and um looking at you know funding those companies so so it was kind of naturally then um, attracted towards the venture capital space and trying to meet people in that sector um, so you know met a few guys and, and it's just great like how generous people have been you know and, and are typically with their time and meeting for coffees and, and came across one firm called Polaris um, and the partner here in Noel Rowan uh, met him and, and kind of you know said look I, I want to get interested in in your space what do you do what you do how you go about you know assessing an early stage company whether it be two guys an idea and putting capital into that um, so he really graciously got me involved and, and I, on the side I would do so on the side of my day job I would you know help out Noel and, and do market analysis research you know do up investment thesis papers and um, just kind of learn through through grafting um, yeah. how you pull a deal together so off the back of that, I, I went over to the Boston uh, office and, and met some of the partners there, um, and then again getting a little bit more involved and, and you know learning really the whole time about how an investor thinks about a deal. So rather than on the advisory side where you're typically trying to maybe sell you know investors yeah. a, a company or a team, and um, this was very much how do you look at it from the other lens, and, and I really really enjoyed that. Um, so came back and and. Um, at that point went to London um, got introduced to the guys at Silicon Valley Bank so you know Silicon Valley Bank uh, as as you'll know um, you know one of the biggest banks in in the tech space over in the US and they were basically looking to replicate their model in Europe so they set up a London team 
I think 2012, something around that kind of time, um, and really starting to grow and see traction as the European venture capital market um, was growing over the years. And you know, their model is very much to help early stage companies um, team up with venture capital firms and then also lend and do small equity investments as well through through warrants and, and those kind of deals um, with you know the best companies in Europe. So yeah. I, I joined there and, and really, really. Um, enjoyed the time learned an awful lot got to work with some some really cool companies over there um, and then at that time I was, you know, I was still speaking with Noel and, and doing various bits and he was making the investment in voices mm-hmm. um, so he asked me to come and uh, join as part of the Series A and, and head up um, finance and operations that's cool so how do you manage to scale up voices to, uh, since then with the funding and make it go with the office worldwide? How did that come about? Yeah, so I, I guess, you know, at that point, we, um, so this was the end of 2016, early 2017, I joined Voices and, um, you know, we raised the, the Series A with, with Polaris and all led that investment. So it was an $8 million Series A round. And, you know, the time when I joined, um, there, were, there were myself and, and six other guys and girls and um, you know very early we were in Dogpatch Labs uh, around a, co- a shared desk and um, yeah so I think you know the first kind of priority was to to grow go go and, and you know deploy that capital to to um, grow the team and, and I think for us we wanted to be obviously as any company should be very strategic about that growth so you know uh, we looked at the US um, obviously our, our investors were kind of based there yeah. uh, in terms of Polaris's HQs in Boston um, but also from a go-to-market perspective we knew with the, the business that we were in our customers were going to be in the US primarily so we wanted to set up a commercial team in in, in the US Boston because of the network with Polaris you know it's, it's great to have a, yeah. a strong firm like them that they were able to introduce us to some of the first key hires there and um, so that was you know the Boston office, and then um, grow the Irish office. Um, you know the engineering team start wrapping some some product around the core technology that had been developed previous to the round, um, and then a few months after we, we announced the round, we hired um, Ian Hudson, who was head of text to speech at Google. So Ian is is based out of Edinburgh. Um, so we set up an office around Ian and and um, looking to I guess acquire the talent that's that's in that city as well. So kind of an R and D hub is based in Edinburgh. So you know since that time in beginning of 2017, with myself and, and six or seven others, um, we're now coming up on on 40 people uh, across the three offices. Um, so it's been significant growth o- over the last kind of 18 odd months, but it's been it's been a, it's been a good ride so far. Yes, basically, you made sure that you didn't scale too quickly. Absolutely, and, and I think you know companies can can grow for the sake of growing, so they can you know report back to their investors. We added ten new hires, and this is great. Aren't we doing brilliantly? And, and really, we want to think, okay, well, where do we want to go first, and why do we want to do that? So, for the space that we're in. So, to give you a high level context, and we can talk more about the business later. But Voices is a voice AI company. So, if you think of Siri or Alexa, yeah. we've developed the the full end to end platform model. And we essentially will make a tailor-made Siri or Alexa for um, for any other business. Yeah. So for us, you know, people in that domain with that specific knowledge, PhDs coming out with, with that um, those abilities are very rare um, yeah. around the world. So it's very much about okay, where does that talent lie? And and for us, Dublin is is a great hub for that. Um, you know, our our, our founder uh, Peter, PhD with with UCD, um, was a professor there, and and you know led large research grants so you know he has attracted some of the talent from UCD DCU um, and then in Edinburgh we've got the Harriet Watt University which is very very strong in, in the voice space so yeah. we've built a team and, and have a strategic um, kind of 
alliance, I guess, with, with the university, and we've picked some really great talent. So to your point, it's what is the reason for the expansion? We need to grow out the technology. We need people to do that, and where do those people sit? Um, so in Europe, it's about a, a talent acquisition strategy, yeah. um, and then in the US, it's, okay, what are the best use cases for this technology? Where do we see, you know, with voice, it is the use, use cases are in really every market that an, an individual, a human being interacts with technology. You know, so we, we from fundamentally believe that the next paradigm shift is, is people interacting more and more by voice. It's more efficient and now the systems are actually getting strong enough to make it uh, an actual reality. Yeah. Um, so, you know, for, from the marketing perspective is, okay, well, what, what's the best um, sector to go, to go and expand? And, and uh, that's what the Boston team have been charged with over the last 18 months is, is looking at that. I guess if somebody is like visually impaired, your product is great because you voice controls everything that they're doing. Absolutely. I mean, I, I mean, and beyond those, it, it's anyone that is you know engaging with a phone. You know, if you're if you're trying to search for something, you know, typing is far slower than speaking. Yeah. You know, and, and if the the device actually understands not just the words that you speak, but the intent, the context. What do you actually mean by those words? So simple transcription, that's been around for years, but the machine understanding, oh, he's looking for this because he mentioned this earlier yeah. on, understanding that context, that, that is the most challenging and the most um, difficult, and I guess, you know, capital intensive from an intelligence stand- standpoint to get right. And that's what we're, we're trying to solve for. You know, we like to think that we're changing the conversation between humans yeah, and I guess technology. Like whenever you're on Google and typing in the search thing, it actually will fill in what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. So you're actually doing the same with voice. It knows what you're going to look for. Exactly, exactly. And, and you know, we're really excited because we've, you know, entered into this space. And, and for me personally, having joined uh, at the end of 2016, when you know the Echo was just coming out, yeah. and Amazon were really just trying to push voice. Obviously, Siri had been around, but I think people hadn't had a great experience with it when initially it came yeah. out. It has gotten so much better over the years. Amazon pushing Echo, the millions and millions of devices that have been sold, the HomePod, Google Assistant, all of these have come on in leaps and bounds over the last years. And we're, we're you know we're at a place now that people are really adopting this technology because they find the use because it actually makes things faster. So as an example in 2016 20% of all of Google's mobile search was done by voice yeah you fast forward that that's anticipated by 2020 to be 50% yeah so you have a, a population around the world that are getting very comfortable with this and we are then piggybacking I guess yeah. essentially on that and built our own platform and then we want to give a voice to other companies essentially yeah because right now I'm a Mac series but into it I'm like I'm using Siri and that a lot more than I used to because it's got more intelligence and a lot better over the years exactly yeah, and I'm, a, I'm a big Mac guy. I'm, I'm, I'm way more Apple than, than Android. So, you know, I too have, have gotten more and more comfortable using Siri because she actually understands what I'm saying and she can do the thing. So, and, and this is great. It's the advancement. It's people adopting it because it's more and more useful and it just plays into exactly the space that we're trying to play as well. I remember years ago when it first came out, I got the beta version of iOS, I think it was 2012. And it just Siri and I had an iPhone 4S. I put the beta version software, managed to get it on my phone. And when I was using Siri, certain things, oh, Siri's great, Siri's great, but other things wasn't doing well. Yeah. And I didn't realize that if you hold down twice, it, it actually speaks and tell you what you're doing. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know that what that was. And yeah. I, was and I had to wait, I had to shut the phone off and on again to get rid of that. Yeah. And then I realized when I got the full version of what, what I was doing, and then I, from, then I said, from now on, I'm no way ever going to install a beta version of software again until it don't wreck my phone. Yeah, exactly. It's the bugs that are in all those betas. They're trying to use you to, to solve all that. But, yeah. but I think to your point, like you had to learn yeah. how to use Siri. And we think that's fundamentally wrong. 
Mm. We should interact with technology how we, you and I are speaking right now. You know the context. You know kind of what I'm talking about. Yeah. I don't need to change the way I speak for you to understand me. No. And we think that should be the exact same with machines. And I guess like that video of seen I've seen one video with a, of a scratch guys in lift and yeah. <laughs> I mean, how is it going? I'm just thinking in America, you got so many different accents. Yeah, if you're yeah. a hillbilly. Yeah. All right. And like, how would I differentiate that from someone in Boston or, or New York? It's it's data. Yeah. It's all training on data. Yeah. That that's that's literally the most valuable thing that any any of these businesses have is is the data that they generate and also domain specific data. So, be it domain in in uh, you know Glas- Glasgow yeah. uh, accent or or in in deep south of uh, Alabama, you know, and it's all training these models on data. But we're we're at a phase now in, in the world and, and how technology has has developed that the computational power has just exploded. Yeah. And, and these language models, these neural networks that are being developed with artificial intelligence, real artificial intelligence, not machine learning, yeah. that has been the advancements that these can now all train one another and they and they go at such a faster clip than they were even just 18 months ago. And yeah. that's and you, you, you fast forward that and compound that growth and those accel- that acceleration in technology, that's where they're going to understand those Glasgow guys and sitting in that lift. Because yeah. you know? <laughs> when I see that, I'm thinking, hold on a second, if this lift is American, there's accents in America that people are going to find hard to understand. Yeah. So, I like to. Well, I thought it was funny what I was doing, but it was basically trying to emphasize people think that with AI and voice interaction that it's not going to work with your accents. In reality, it will because it has to. It was exactly. in America, and America's got. So if you could talk to someone in Boston, New York, yeah. somebody who's a hillbilly, accents are so different. Yeah. Yeah. Like Dublin North Southside is so totally different. It is. It is exactly. And if, if you can understand every accent in America. Many lots of NX in the world should be able to. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it, it comes back to that data. Yeah. You train those models on that data, and, and and it will it will work. And you guess the more it's using, the more you're talking to it, the more it gets to know who you are. Exactly. So it'll be pressing towards you yeah. again, and after a while, oh, I know who you are. Like if you go on YouTube after a while, it knows what you will recommend stuff from exactly. what you've seen. It'll be like exactly. this. It'll, it'll know what you're going to do. So when, you, when you're saying I want to look for a restaurant, yeah. it might know exactly what food you like. So it'll go, pop restaurant, there's the ones you're looking for. Yeah. And those are the ones you like and the ones you hate. Yeah. And it won't go near that. It's a huge paradigm shift, you know, and, and, and to that point, I think it's that assistant knowing who you are, pushing things that you might like. What's to stop, you know, that company being, you know, commercially incentivized, shall yeah. we say, by another entity? to try and push other things at you. So it's, it's kind of like shelf space, you know, back, yeah. back in, in um, you know, 100 years ago or whatever, and, and, you know, paying up brands, paying up for that eye-level shelf space. Yeah. And, and how do you pay for that prime? You know, when you're talking to Alexa and you're saying, hey, buy, you know, ketchup. Yeah. Is Heinz paying paying them to, to make sure that that's Heinz that yeah. goes in, into your basket? And, and it's a huge amount of, of interesting things that we, we need to explore is, is that data, that privacy, like what gets pushed at you. We all know the issues with things like fake news. You know, when yeah. you ask for the news from Alexa, is she going to tell you what Fox are saying about the, the latest elections or is it CNN, you yeah. know, and, and, and those differences. And, and it'd be really, really interesting how we solve for that. But there's more and more scrutiny coming on these tech companies than ever before. So it, it's, it's going to be really interesting next well, few years. For me, that's like Apple is impartial. When they, when they, when they have a product, they set a product and nothing else. After that, it's how we use it accounts. In other words, yeah. if you use Siri, there's nobody behind the scenes paying them for advertising certain products. Whereas yeah. if, if you get a Google product or Amazon, Google particularly, yeah. Google Ads will come to play. And yeah. Amazon might, they might suggest, so if you want to look for a new, a, new, a new product, they'll recommend basically some brand name that's paying them to have front of, of life exactly. of, of on a website. Whereas with that, Something like Apple and yourselves, you're not you're not really linked towards one certain company. Well, Apple are, are selling me products. Yeah. You know, Google are selling me. 
Yeah. And that's the distinction there. Yeah. You know, and, and I think it'd be really interesting to see how Google's business model changes over the years because you know they've made a hard push into into the voice space now. Seeing yeah. with Amazon, they're seeing Amazon creeping into their space onto that online spend, and, and they need to see how they continue. Eighty percent of Google's revenue is generated from ads. Mm. You know, what's that going to look like in five years' time when everyone's doing it on voice on yeah. these little devices? You know. Yeah, it's gonna. It's probably gonna be. Uh, Assuming that you're gonna to have to pay to get your ad, and if you don't, if you don't pay for a Google ad in the long term, yeah. you're racking Google's down. I've yeah. heard that as well. So that's one exactly. thing you're gonna have a lot of that scenario. And also, I know people if they sell you the product only, and like you buy whatever cereal, whatever it is, and after that, nothing else. After that, what you what you do with it is up to you. Yeah. And it gives you the when you ask for questions or ask for something, it gives you what things you want, not what. What you would not what they think you need. Yeah. What, you, what they think what they know you you need. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Hundred percent agree. Like if you go and you want to say oh I want to get a hamburger, it won't be pushing your McDonald's. And McDonald's is giving the specialist. Speak. It'll be pushing the one that knows you might like. Yeah. Exactly. And that's the way it should be. But yeah. Same with like Watson as well. Watson in the kind of way is a bit like that. It's kind of open source in a way, which is great. Mm. So when that first came out, that that to me thought oh great that's that's making the AI voice. More, more open, mm. and because IBM ha- haven't got an agenda behind who, who's going to be using it, it, it it's used for for good, bad, and ugly. Mm. Like when it was used for those talking dolls in America, I found it a bit creepy when it was recording your voice <laughs> and remembers who you are. Yeah, I'm thinking this is like a Stephen King novel. Yeah, 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 so yeah exactly. I didn't quite like that, but I see what it was doing. Yeah, but it was showing you the power of, of AI that something else will come along, which you get to build, and we'll do it a lot better and a lot easier. Yeah. And will make it seem less creepy and more normal. Yeah, yeah. No, it's interesting. And you, you, you mentioned IBM there, and it's um, you know as we look at the voice landscape and, and you know who are our competitors and, and how how are we going to win? And, and IBM, for example, the, what what you're describing there is is their their natural language processing yeah. tooling that they that they expose as developers, and it's you know really powerful stuff. Where basically they are taking the transcribed words, yeah. so maybe they use you know. Google's um, ASR, which is the piece that understands the words that are spoken. Yeah. Uh, the NLP is applied to then, you know, look at what is the intent, the context, what does that user actually want out of this interaction. Um, the problem with with uh, applying that tooling in, in isolation is that you're very much dependent on the step that came before it. Mm-hmm. Um, so for us at Voices, we've created the full stack end-to-end AI platform, yeah. which means that you know, we actually don't make a decision until the very end. So what that means is that when I say something, so if I go on to, um, this isn't live now example, but, you know, take Nike.com yeah. as an example. Very specific, you know, set of products with attributes, previous content, previous searches um, about all their, their products. They very much have their own brand and we believe that they should have their own their own voice. Yeah. And what that would mean is that, you know, I can go on and go, hey, I'm looking for the latest dry fit stuff you guys have. So the, the computer has a decision to make there. What's, what's he talking about? What does that person actually mean out of, out of that? What do they want to see? Yeah. If you use Google's ASR um, or, or Series or, or Lex, which is uh, Alexa's exposed one, um, they would likely transcribe dry fit as D-O-R-Y-F-I-T. Yeah. Yeah. And it will go then, so then if you are layering on IBM's NLP tooling, it will say, okay, we're trying to figure what that out is, trying to intent classify what exactly do we, can I match that to a, a product or what it was the context of this but because it's dependent upon the piece before it yeah. there is no dry DRY yeah. fit product so it'll say sorry I don't know what you're talking about yeah. for us we, we continue that, that stream until the very end so we, we have the combination of uh, potential outcomes so yeah. we'll have DRY we'll have DRI because our language model has been trained up on well we know that, that that's a, a product 
Yeah. All right. So then when we get to the ultimate decision of, okay, well, what do we need to show this user? What, what does that response look like back? We've continued those those chain, I guess, of, of potential outcomes throughout until the very end. And we've applied all of the AI to that initial utterance. And that's the key difference of, of what we're trying to do versus some of the other tooling that's out there. So we'll go, oh, well, here, here's, the, here's some catalog in your size. And it'll get that. So that's kind of like a simple example of, of where we kind of fit on that so landscape. You get one like a flowchart. Exactly. And if it's, if it's this and that, and then it, it goes down the flowchart, we are just from a deduction what you're looking for. Yeah, exactly. Rather than saying, here's what that person said, there's one value, and yeah. you go through the flowchart. We are maintaining two, three, four, five options, inputs into that flowchart throughout the process. Yeah. So it kind of at a high level, and, and again, like I said, my background is, is is finance, so if we were to delve any deeper, I definitely would struggle to talk through I the neural networks. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm hoping your next question isn't... Uh, <laughs> no, because last couple years ago, any big guys from Microsoft, and they were doing stuff on, on a deep level AI and everything like that. Yeah. And they were going so deep level that nobody's going to get what we're talking about. Yeah. So I said to the guys, will there be Skynet? Yeah. <laughs> and that brought it back to... to that's what, that, that way people can understand what I'm yeah. talking about. Yeah. And it opened us on... In, maybe in future some lack can happen yeah. it won't be in, not going to be as soon as you think yeah. that way I, I bring it back because I hate when you didn't with somebody and uh, you don't know as much as they do or vice versa I yeah. want to make sure that we're both on the same page yeah I, I'm going to uh, I, can, I can only keep it very surface so uh, <laughs> yeah. that's good that's good yeah because I, I just know that uh, there's times when I might not be more than a person interviewing and I don't want to them up or they don't know more than me so hold on I want to make sure that we but we're both talking, no one knows, and everybody can understand what we're talking about. Sure. One of the two nerves in the corner, <laughs> two shoulders in the corner. Like I always say that, two shoulders in the corner joking with something. I, I want to meet somebody who's a penny. Yeah. If, if they're a penny, how do you describe to a penny what, what things are? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's what it should be. So rather than Sheldon and Sheldon or Sheldon Leonard, talk about one Okay, address penny. Well, what would penny, uh, uh, I understand, how would you think about this? How would yes. you understand it? And if, if, if I'm sure everyone knows a penny in your life somewhere. Exactly. Or exactly. Like that. Yeah. And they also everyone knows a Sheldon. Yeah. I've got a few major Sheldons. Yeah. But they always try. But they, 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 at times they can go really level. At times they won't. They know when when to stop and start. Exactly. And they know the audience. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll be your penny. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> we're, we're getting back to the uh, about what you have about uh, scaling up. What tips can you give any Irish startups or companies that want to uh, scale, scale internationally? Yeah, I, th- I think for me it, it comes back to knowing the why. Why are you scaling? Yeah. You know, and again, I, I don't want to repeat myself, but it, it cannot be emphasized enough in terms of be strategic about your scaling. Yeah. What is it for? Is it to access a market? Have you found product market fit in a particular vertical that, yes, that translates directly into that market? We need boots on the ground there. We need to be closer to our customers. That makes perfect sense. For us, like I said, it was talent. Yeah. We wanted to access the talent in Edinburgh, and then in the in the US, it was figuring out the landscape for our go to market uh, model. So it's it's just knowing the why that would yeah. be the biggest thing. And then you know, there's <laughs> being Irish. There's there's certainly a, a network of, of people that will meet you for a coffee. Coming back to my original point, you know, that will give you the advice of, oh hey, you should talk to this lawyer. In you know, if you've decided on the city or whatever it is, yeah. there's always somebody there that will give you a hand. And you know, you know, simple things like setting up the actual legal structure, or some of the trying to recruit, or anything. There's there's people in any of those markets that you want to be in that will help. I guess because once you're in America, if you say you're Irish, there's someone there who's Irish American or there's Irish contingency there that will that will give you a leg up. 
Absolutely. More, more so than in Dublin and actually oh, in Ireland. Big time. Big yeah. time. The, the, the excitement that you get when you start speaking in your accent to a, particularly in Boston, yeah. with the strong Irish, uh, I guess, history there, it's uh, it's great. You know, and, and people are, are extremely helpful, both, you know, not actual Irish, you know, first generation yeah. Irish and people that have moved over. Um, and, and second, third, fourth, they get, you know, they want to talk about their grandmama who was from Kilkenny or whatever, yeah. and they get really excited. And, and again, they want to help you. And um, yeah, I think, you know, for me, the US market, just from a you know personal standpoint, has been has been great for that exact reason. You know, they're, they're, they want to help you. They want to, you know, see if they can do anything for you. So it's, um, yeah, no, it's great. It's a bit like Chuck Feeney, an Irish American. He decided he wanted to reinvest in Ireland. Yeah. And even though he... He was a, his roots might have been great grandparents, whatever. He still wanted to invest in the old side. A lot of Americans like that. Yeah. They wanted to invest in the old side. And I've seen startups that come, come here from America. And because the, the founder of Irish Roots, he wanted to bring, bring it back to Ireland, bring it back yeah. to where his grandparents came from. Yeah. And you have, you know, I, I um, met with actually the Irish Angel Group uh, in New York just a couple of weeks ago. And, and it's that exact thing. It's people that have an Irish connection, that have Irish roots um, over in America. These guys are in New York. And, and you know, they want to fund Irish startups and if they can help open doors from be it a customer standpoint or, or, or anything um, in the US or if they can be helpful, you know, it's a phenomenal network and, and we should be doing more to tap into that. Yeah, for me, if you go to South Southwest every year, the, the there's an Irish contingent always there and I think it's IDA in Ireland, the people mm-hmm. there, yep. there's a consulate in California somebody that, that goes across every year to that to help Irish companies do it. Yep. Uh, uh, get themselves more known and, you know Enterprise Ireland for us um, extremely helpful like when we opened up the, the US office I had a guy onto me straight away how can we be helpful what can we do we went to an event in Vegas um, during the year and they were over there had a presence inviting us to, to dinners to drinks you know I gave them a briefing of you know this is kind of the type of yeah. you know person in these different entities that we'd like to talk to from a customer standpoint and they're out there you know on our behalf trying to meet people, trying to say, yeah, you should, you should speak to the guys of voices, you know, and, and they're setting up meetings and it's, you know, it's purely just to, to help grow Irish businesses abroad. That's yeah. it. It's good to see that. Because I, I know that, for me, basically, uh, when I look at that, I'm trying to think, what we see in the Irish unicorns that are based here rather than having to go to America, like, for example, you've got in, in, in Boston, you've got an Intercom, and then in San Francisco, you've got Stripe. Yeah. But well, no. Uh, Intercom are, are in San Fran as well. They're not in Boston. Yeah. You know, we, we uh, you know, I think your question around will we see, you know, the Irish unicorns. Will we see more of them? Absolutely. Yeah. We absolutely will. But will we see companies that come to um, billion dollar valuation um, that are actually funded and grow here and yeah. then move abroad? I don't know. I, I think. Um, the Irish funding landscape is is difficult. You know, I know 2000 and I think the VCA report came out from 2017 was a record year for for Irish startups, and I think it was almost over a billion dollars invested in Irish startups. We actually drilled into the information. There was a couple of really big deals. You know, Intercom I think were, were one of them. I think maybe their deal was 125 million, something, yeah. something in that magnitude. You know, that's 10 percent over 10 percent of, of that number. Um, and I think 2018 is going to be a very poor year for for raising. So I think that that's one point. Secondly, they're all coming from international investors. Yeah. You know, if, if you look at, um, again, going back to the, the data on 2017, um, in the US, the, the, the median Series A check size um, was $6.1 million. Yeah. Uh, so that is, that is seen to be the capital required to grow a team, penetrate a market, get product market fit, and, and grow to a, a size and scale that you can then go for a Series B. 
In Ireland in 2017, the number of checks that were written that were above six million dollars to Irish early stage tech companies were two. Yeah. Two businesses in Ireland. We were one of them. Yeah. How can you say that we have a booming technology early stage startup hub when that's the case? You know, we do not have the LP. Uh, sorry, the VC yeah. base. You know that can write big enough checks and, yeah. and I think there's there's firms out there that are writing checks for, for the earlier you know the 250k yeah. to 1 million 2 million and that's excellent that's great and we need more of that um, but we need capital that's not London investors coming in writing a quick 5 million dollar check and getting out of there or US guys coming over and then bringing the key management or you know it, you know not making them move, but oftentimes they do. Look at Stripe, look at Intercom, yeah. and the guys. I know they both have strong presences here, but I, I would, and I don't know the guys, but I would imagine that the decision makers in those companies are more often than not over in the US. You know, I met a few years ago, I met one of the coffee brothers at an mm. event in Dublin, and he told me that if he, if he was starting to start in Ireland, he wouldn't get funded. Even though he already proven that he was an entrepreneur, his last company before he'd, he'd sold it for like yeah. uh, tens of a million, he, yeah. he proved he could do it. He's still going to get investment over in Ireland. That, that to me shocks me. Yeah. That somebody who's put an entrepreneur and has done it before mm. will do it again. Why but, but who are going to be those investors? Yeah. You know, who is going to write that five, six, seven, eight million dollar check? We, we it, it's a numbers game. You know, yeah. we don't have enough investors that have the capital for that level. And, and I don't know if it's an LP base, um, but we, you know, we rely on international capital, and what that will do will draw away our best and brightest. Now, don't get me wrong, there will be exits then. You know, the guys at Stripe will exit and there'll be early employees there and they'll do very, very well on Intercom and hopefully they will come back to Ireland yeah. and grow that ecosystem. That, that's how these things happen. But we're bringing them away um, early in that in that development and, and, you know, it's out of our control to a certain extent. We're hoping that they come back. But if we can grow those companies actually here, you know, we are perfectly located between Europe and America. Yeah. Um, that you should be able to grow a large business here and, and tap into both markets. So, uh, and for me, it com- comes back to the investor base. You know, there's a couple of, of firms that have the ability and the capital um, to write those big checks, but um, I don't think there's enough. And for me, also, is the government aren't doing enough support to start up their mode, it supports somebody who's multinational from America or abroad because yeah. they, they, they've got the money behind them, right? And they've got, they can, they want to hire, hire 10 people tomorrow, they can do that, whereas a smaller company can't. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 you know, if you're a large multinational coming in, they'll roll out the red carpet for you. And, and, and absolutely, I mean, we, we've, we've benefited greatly from, you know, we're, we're here in Silicon Docks, yeah. and, and there's, you know, great companies within throwing distance uh, from us, and that's excellent. And it helps develop that engineering talent. We've got some great engineers that have got experience in those companies, and, and that's great. But, you know, the biggest employer in Ireland are the SMEs. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, for politician or whatever to, to attract in a, a big company you know it's, it's a quick win for them because it's yeah. you know there's 500 jobs I've just created whereas actually growing a sustainable um, SME you know business market that, that companies can, can grow um, and are incentivized through taxation and all that, that good stuff um, is is super important yeah, but I find like an SME is going to pay more tax than a Google is or an Apple is Absolutely. in the long term and yeah. why aren't they looking at that yeah I couldn't agree more that's where the money is I mean I think companies have got 10 employees, no 10 employees, if they're living here, they're going to be paying, basically, they're, they're, they're not going to get any, any sweetheart deals when they're doing this, yeah. and they're going to work here and do things here, and where something like Google or Apple or other companies in the past have got deals like that, yeah. where, don't worry about that, we'll give you a double taxation, double Irish, which in my view at the time might have been the thing to do, but not anymore, yeah. and I'm thinking, well, why aren't you giving other companies, small companies, exact same, uh, 
scenario yeah. as well, but you're not. You yeah. be. I mean, you know, and specifically looking at, I guess, the companies that, that I look at and that, that I'm involved with, they're all early stage tech VC back. Yeah. So the the tax thing for me is less about profits, yeah, yeah because these these you know early stage are, are funded by by venture money. Yeah. So you're not making any profits. There's no tax anyway in the first place. But it's more how how equity is treated and particularly options as well for early stage employees, and that you actually are incentivizing employees appropriately for the risk that they're they're yeah. taking in earlier companies. And if you're you know taxing them punitively, again, it's harder to attract that talent. You know, in America, the equity conversation you know um, is is far more uh, important than than it is over here and, and, and the tax piece you know fits into that yeah, for me it appears sorry to cut it in Ireland and surely there yeah. should be incentive if, you, if you're a small startup there should be where you have a couple of years where your peer size is reduced for mm. two or three years to give you a chance to get in the equal footing in, in, in where you are and after, after that three or two years is up then you're back to normal yeah. give you a chance yeah absolutely because people won't stay they've been they've been hammered with that why would they stay with you exactly exactly no I completely agree they're going to end up going with, they're going to end up basically like one health service going to end up going abroad because that's, that's where the money is and they're not going to get taxed mm-hmm. or hammered yeah yep. and people wonder why we, we can't get staff to do certain roles it's because uh, we, we can't afford to pay the going rate because if we do hammered in tax we can't afford that especially if you're a startup right now the biggest thing is uh, if you look at people who are doing data science and, and AI they're the big two areas at the moment there's people looking for working but the employees here can't afford to pay that kind of money startups because they haven't got the money yeah yeah and, and, like, you know Ireland has done phenomenally well and yeah. it's great you know we, we you, know, you look at where we were 10 years ago um, and it's been phenomenal growth and, it, and it's amazing uh, um, but I just think we, we should continue on that trajectory yeah. we, we can do more we can do more to support um, companies so you know, uh, what was the old fin of all? You know, a lot done, more to do, yeah. kind of thing. And, and um, you know, I think uh, I think there's 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 a lot more room to grow, and I think we should be looking at those earlier stage companies that are homegrown. Yeah. Now, when you're working with Silicon Valley Bank, what do you look for in the companies you were invested in? Yeah. So, you know, at SVB in London, we were, like I said, we were working with um, European venture capital firms that were looking at European companies typically. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in I was working with uh, a lot of e-commerce businesses, as it turned out. So yeah. companies like Not in the High Street. Um, we looked at Farfetch, um, and a company called Swoon, um, which are furniture kind of e-commerce companies. Um, and you know, it, in that space, it kind of I guess when you're looking at a company, it's it's very much sector and vertical specific. Um, in e-commerce, you're you're really looking at um, the growth uh, uh-huh. of the top line, but is it the sustainability of that growth. So everyone can, you know, spend two dollars getting one dollar in revenue. When you drill into the data um, and looking at you know unit economics is, is, is a big kind of term and area uh, within uh, VC investing and, and really looking at is is what is the the lifetime value of, of a particular customer so when they come in you know how long can I actually keep them and then versus um, the cost to acquire that customer so so it's the the, the term is LTV to CAC is is how it's phrased but really you're looking at metrics like that that are um, um, actually showing sustainable growth so yes you're losing money right now that's mm-hmm. fine but show me that top line revenue growth and then show me that the under the hood in terms of gross margin and operating what are those unit economics and, and you know if this business is to continue on this trajectory what is that um, I guess runway through to, to profitability look like and you know if you've got businesses that are like I said spending two dollars to get a dollar in revenue that's you're just going to continue to burn money yeah. um, but there is 
certain businesses that, that do it really well and they, they spend wisely on sales and marketing and, and they do it because they're looking at things like LTV to CAC. Yeah. I think companies who just basically throw money away because there's nobody else in their space and they, they just keep throwing money at it because they think, well, who else is going to come in and compete against us? Yeah. And in the end, we're going to, like, for example, for years, Amazon was making their money because yeah. it was running who wrote market share. And when some competitor did something, they go and buy them and say, well, we're going to buy your competitor. And then five, they're still down to make money, but it took them years to do that because they realized they could do it. Yeah, and, and, and you know, you look at what is the, a business's competitive advantage? Mm-hmm. Access to capital can be a competitive advantage. So, you know, Jeff Bezos has excellently demonstrated his ability to get capital from yeah. both private and public markets. Um, I think Silicon Valley goes through um, phases of, of what they focus on. So a few years ago, it was top-line growth at all costs. I don't care what's going on in the bottom line. Show me that growth, year-on-year growth in your revenue number. Then there was a little bit of a pullback in 2015, 2016. There was more of a focus on union economics. And I guess that was when I was in London. Yeah. You know, So there was just more of a sharp focus on that. So it all goes in cycles. But for me, you want a business that is fundamentally sound on, on the fundamentals. Yeah. So regardless of, of what phase we're at in, in, in a funding cycle, show me how this is going to be a profitable enterprise. Because again, when you get to profitability, you know, your destiny is in your own hands. Yeah. And, and you don't have to go back to the markets the whole time. Um, so yeah, it comes back to fundamentals. And if you that, but you got a five-year plan, and you can say, by year five, we're going to make money. Let them try their rod after year two, say, hold on, you're not mm-hmm. making money. We're pulling out. And, and it's, you know, can you demonstrate uh, a solid business in a particular vertical or yeah. in a particular market? So if you look at something like, like an Uber and they say, oh, well, they, they, they burn billions every year or whatever. Well, actually, the, you know, um, again, so I actually haven't looked at the, the latest numbers, so I will caveat it. But as long as you can see a, a profitable model in one market, so be it in the US, yeah. and then you go and you spend and invest in, in going into the, the, uh, the next market, so be that China or Australia, whatever that is, for your particular business, if you can go back to, well, this is the model that we're shooting for. Yeah. This is why we're going to spend another 20, 30, 50 million dollars going into this market. So on a consolidated basis, it's like, oh, we're, we're burning money each month. But actually, when you, when you drill down into, be it geographies or yeah. verticals, you can show that growth to profitability. Yeah, and you, and you can say basically by this by this time in this date, we're going to be making the money yeah. that we predicted. And, and things change. You know, you, you, when you set out a five-year plan, you know, one thing that you know about that plan is that it's wrong. Yeah. But what you're doing is, you know, holding yourself to, to milestones, iterating as you go along, and, and again, coming back to fundamentals, have we got it right in this one market? And then it comes back to, you know, the expanding piece. Why are you expanding that next market? Have you proven out in the original market? Like, and then it makes sense to yeah, go like invest. Uber, like, so if Uber were going to to London, then suddenly the black cap last year, and they were told, Uber can't be here anymore. Mm. You've got to have basically in your five year plan, if there's going to be any hiccups along the way, you'll be able to pivot and, and, and think, what, what do I do next? So you're prepared for that. Exactly. So you don't suddenly get a shock, oh, oh hell, what do we do now? We've got a problem here. Exactly. If you know basically that could happen and you're prepared for that, that's great. Yeah. Which they obviously were because they're back there now anyway. So. Yeah, 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 exactly. You know, and, and it's, it's proven operators, and you know, Darren's yeah. gone in and, and done a great job. And, and I guess first changing the conversation about about Uber and, yeah. and changing, you know, how people are viewing it. And, and I think a lot of things last year with, with Travis, or the year before maybe at this stage, um, and, you know, Delete Uber and all these campaigns, the, the conversation has very much changed about that company. And, you know, they're talking about IPO and what was the last round with, with SoftBank valued them around, again, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but maybe 70 odd billion. Yeah. And they're looking at IPO potentially at a 120 billion valuation. Uh, again, that's iBankers trying to sell and get the deal. Yeah. But, it, but you know, it's it's 
it's definitely on the right trajectory than it was. And then yesterday launched on Uber Eats as well, which is another product yeah. they're doing. So they're sorry, uh, diversifying, but on the same model in a way. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a platform play. Yeah, you know, so they have they have they have the technology platform. They've got the platform of drivers, and how can we monetize that? So let's go get them to deliver food. Let's get them to deliver parcels. You yeah. know, and, and what a, you know, you can see them growing into those different verticals and those different markets. Yeah, and I guess soon, forget DHL. It's going to be Uber. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You know, the likes of DHL, the likes of FedEx, companies like Uber, Amazon, yeah. you know, they're moving into these markets. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be an interesting few years to see how that, that plays out. Because I spoke to a guy earlier in the week who was doing a drone operating system for drones. So, basically, mm. they're going to be used for like drone packages. And his view is his software built in India. He's an Indian guy. said, so in the long term, everyone will be using my software. And it's called DOS, drone operating systems. They'll mm. be using that to power it. Because at the moment, there's no set standard. Interesting. If there is standard for, for drone operating systems, it means that everyone's in the same level, level playing field. Yeah. And there's, once you got standard there, like you do with, with uh, certain things now, there's going to be no problems. Yeah, yeah, fascinating. And I'm, I'm thinking that's going to be in the fire time, it's going to be, because at the moment, Amazon in the, in, in the UK, in the US, are doing drones to deliver certain things. Yeah. But if you have a standard operating system that's used worldwide, mm. that means you have to worry about uh, uh, people saying, well, how are you going to deal with localization, like for Junior Airport? What can you do? Yeah. Whereas if everyone's using the same operating system, when you go worldwide, like try an airplane, you go worldwide, exactly. the same regulations. So with this, same regulations. So when you go worldwide, everyone's got the same regulations, how, how it works. Like Obviously, if you get a, a small light plane, you know, you're going to be told, sorry, that plane can't go to the Olympic, go to McDonald's somewhere else, or, yeah. or Westfield. Yeah. Whereas, uh, and same with drones, when you got these drones, you, you've been told where, where you can and can't go, and it'll be the same worldwide. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm thinking that's going to be, for me, one of the next big things, along with voice and AI, is going to be uh, drone technology. Mm-hmm. I think by using, by also in conjunction with using voice, voice and AI and other things, all three combined, you're going to get one hell of a product. Yeah, yeah. And hopefully be powered by you guys. I think so. You know that that's certainly what we're, we're aiming for. But you know, coming back to the, the voice piece, like I mentioned it, but you know, we fundamentally believe that that is the next paradigm shift. You know, yeah. people have gone from from um, you know large computers to to desktops to laptops to phones. The next interface with technology, coupled with like you're talking about drawing yeah. drones or or other kind of interfaces and modes of interacting, we think voice is going to be huge. I've used a desktop in nearly 10 years. Exactly. That's, uh, that's, yeah. I, I had one then, I got rid of it, and then I've been on laptops since then. Yeah. And even then, more so, I'm mostly going to use my iPad on my, on my, my yeah. phone to okay. do things. So you, you fast forward five years, do you think you're going to be tapping into your phone? Is, will you even have a phone? Will you be talking to your AirPods or the equivalent or yeah. some wearable or whatever? And I, I think a lot of it's going to be done by voice because, yeah. again, it's just easier. It makes more sense. It's going to be wearable because I think wearables, and as they become more interactive and more voice controlled, you're going to find that they're going to have a lot more you uh, get scenarios for different people exactly. different areas but it's, it's the, the voice technology needs to get to a place where there isn't uh, that compromise that you were, you were yeah. talking about where you have to change how you act in order to engage with that piece of technology yeah. and that will get more and more conversation it was like 10 years ago when you talk about the cloud no one actually knew what it was now everyone's got it in their pocket yeah. and years ago uh, 10 years ago suddenly might not have a computer now they got one it's, it's their phone that's their computer yeah so you've got basically farmers in the middle of nowhere and now you've got a smartphone yeah. and they're using the cloud and they don't know, know what it is now. Exactly. And I guarantee you, once it's in their pocket, same with voice, in five years' time, voice will be built in so so ubiquitous, you won't know what's there. But th- I think that's that's where you know you've done well from a technology development, development yeah. standpoint, where people don't care what's under the hood. Yeah. You know, They don't care about how the neural networks are trained for the voice AI. It's irrelevant. 
Yeah. Does it work? Yeah. Does it make my life easier? Is it an easy inter- interaction? And that's when you know you've won. Yeah. And if it's not for somebody like a farmer is out working in the fields and he wants to go and send an email or talk to somebody or send text, he can do it with his voice rather than and still work away with doing his work and talk exactly. and speak it. That's what we want to be able to do. Yeah. I think if you if you can solve for you know laziness yeah <laughs> or I guess better efficiency is what people would rather say then yeah. you're, you're onto something there because I'm looking at basically if somebody is multitasking and I know that with guys guys can't multitask that well no certainly where, not I where, where I know that women are, very, are better doing that than men <laughs> big time so if you see a, a woman she'd be a, 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 an average person actually would be at the computer typing away on the phone and also put the makeup on an average guy <laughs> if, he, if he's on the phone and trying to type an email he can't do that it's yeah. one thing only. Well, you know, in the current environment now, I don't want to go go down the road of, of um, women versus no, men, and what, who's but, better at what. But yeah, but, but yeah, I, I think that the use cases are are profound. Yeah, they but, really, really are. Yeah, but I'm just saying that, for example, uh, when it comes to able to do jobs, you can do jobs at once because the voice exactly. will allow you to prioritize. You can do whatever you're doing and also use the voice to do something else as well. You can do both. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. I think it's really exciting times. Um, and again, you know, voices, we think we can make a big difference in that. Yeah, just as long as you don't create the next hell. This is it, yeah. I keep saying to the, to, to the guys developing it, it's like, you know, when, when our, our robot overlords come and, and take over the, the, the planet, I'll be coming to blame them. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, like years ago with Siri, they had a thing where we see you type into it and it would say, oh, uh, open the pod doors, Hal. You should do the. Yes, ago. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then one great one was somebody asked, how do you dispose of the body? And they give you a little party. <laughs> I thought that was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. And that's when that's before I spoke to you. And it was starting off. It says that, Siri, how do you suppose a body? And then we come up. I found this, and there's a local quarry nearby. Yeah. I'm thinking, yeah, but, fine. but if you try, if you try and do it now, it won't do it now. Yeah. But at that point, it was still learning. Yeah. And at that time, you thought, this is just as fun. This is great. But nowadays. You never see gangster in a movie, a Godfather, how to a body. Siri, how to spoil the body. <laughs> Not gonna happen that way. Yeah. It, but you can just imagine the I mean, it's, it, it, it's got better. It's got a lot better and cheaper yeah. as well. Exactly. And exactly. Yeah, and it's, there's just been huge advancements uh, over the last number of years, even the last two, three years. It's, it's come on leaps and bounds, yeah. the technology. And, and, you know, like I said, I can't, uh, that, that's as, as detailed as I can get in yeah. terms of, of, of the specific voice technology. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a fascinating space, it really is. I think basically uh, that's going to be probably the next big part of shift is going to be more voice. It's like in Star Trek, yeah. when everything is done by voice rather than, than typing exactly. in the words. Yeah. And that's, that's going to be the future. Exactly, yeah. So, and uh, after, and I suppose on that, we'll, uh, we'll wrap the conversation. That was a great and interesting conversation. Thank you very much for that, David, and uh, good luck in the future with voices. Thanks, Ron. Pleasure. Thanks.